Christian Horner, thank you very much for joining us today. Um, I know you're a busy man, certainly with the F1 um, season about to start. Um, how's COVID been with you? It's, uh, yeah, it's been tough. I mean, it's been tough for everybody, obviously. But we, um, yeah, this time last year, we we just set off for Australia. And I was there for 36 hours uh, before everything got shut down. And we were back back home on the way to England. And then we went into a 63-day lockdown for the whole sport. But during that time, you know, a lot of effort went in behind the scenes. And, you know, Red Bull in particular, we got, you know, the first two races up and running in Austria in July. And then managed to piece together a 17-race calendar, which was full on and with all the travel restrictions and COVID tests and, and quarantining and, and so on. But we managed to get through 17 races that finished just before Christmas, came home, went into another lockdown, <laughs> just coming out of a lockdown and we're off racing again. So um, <laughs> it's had its challenges, but I have to say the whole of Formula One adapted amazingly well. I think I think they did. I think when you watch this spectacle of Formula One, certainly last year, um, it was an amazing thing to watch. I mean, obviously, Lewis um, seems to have done extremely well again in the Mercedes. Um, how how do you feel coming into 2021 about Red Bull's chances? Because obviously, I think Ferrari have sort of fallen off slightly. Whether they've come back for 2021 is yet to be seen, but... On development side of things, um, how do you think Red Bull are going to deal with uh, Mercedes this year? Well, Mercedes is such a... And Aston, you know, funny enough. <laughs> Mercedes is such a, a, you know, a big machine now, and they've been so successful the last seven years that I think as a team, we've been the most consistent to you know, take the, you know, challenge them uh, here and there over the last seven years. We've managed to win races in each of the years bar one. Um, you know, we won the last race fair and square in, in Abu Dhabi, which has been a stronghold of them for some time. You know, pole position and a, and a strong race from Max, which was the best way for us to go into the winter, but was probably also the worst way because it motivated probably Mercedes even more, um, you know, to come out the blocks fighting. But we've got a bit of a regulation change for this year. They've tidied up some of the aerodynamic rules that take away some of the downforce. And again, it's how the teams adapt to those changes. So we start testing on Friday this week, and that'll be the first little you know, clues to how the teams are shaping up. But you've got to assume Mercedes is absolutely the favourites. Yeah, hopefully we've got a strong team this year. I think Max and, and Sergio, hopefully we can give them a harder time and be a consistent challenger rather than a, a sporadic one. I, I, I do think, though, um, I think you have one of the best chassis guys with you. I mean, I think um, Red Bull's chassis has always been one of those chassis which has been the envy of everyone on the grid. You may not necessarily have the power of the engine, but chassis-wise, you've always been top in my eyes and certainly on the track. Yeah, we've got a great team and, you know, Adrian and his team do an amazing job on the chassis. And, you know, Honda... Over the last few years, they've really made some progress and they've had a strong winter. They've thrown everything into it in their, you know, what will be their final season. Um, as you see with the bikes, you know, the way that they turn stuff around is is phenomenal. And I think that they, they really are determined to, you know, sign off, you know, this, this current period in Formula One in as positive manner as possible. So it does feel that we're carrying a bit of momentum, mm. you know, into the year and, and had a strong winter, you know, Honda with Exxon Mobil, 
the fuel so important in the development of these engines as well now they've they really have you know pushed the boundaries yeah christian if it was down to you if you were the boss of formula one and you could make one change regulations wise to to tighten up the racing and you know take away any advantages of any other teams or whatever what would be that one change that you'd like to see engine (laughs) (laughs) one simple change it'd probably be nice um Do you know, I think we're almost getting to the point where we're over-regulated. You mm. probably need to go the other way and let innovation, you know, shine through and, and you know, maybe say you've got this much fuel and this much battery power for a race, go away and come up with creative solutions. And, and, and then you would get real differences, you know, of approach and so on, rather than everybody just trying to absolutely optimize a very, very, you know, um, small set of parameters that we have to deal with um so i probably open things up rather than close them down i think ultimately when you look at um formula one against for instance formula e um you've got this hybrid system now with formula one which changed you know a few years ago now which changed the sound which i noticed when i went to the track um all of a sudden you can hear yourself talk literally me and you could be talking normally when an f1 goes f1 car goes past you can't hear yourself think and your ears are bleeding and certainly yeah. with the old V10s and V12s years ago. But the, for me, Formula One should have always been the pinnacle of power, speed, uh, agility, chassis. And I yeah. think a lot of that's been taken away from Formula One. What they do is, I mean, we know historically you, you restrict Formula One and yet year by year the cars get faster and faster and faster. Is there an argument to say Formula One should be the pinnacle and should be going as fast and pushing those barriers because Formula E are looking after the electric side of things. And yes, hybrid has been the way forward for power and that has boosted the boosted the cars again. But to restrict them, is that purely down to the other teams trying to keep up financially? I think, you know, cost is a big factor, but I think there's ways of dealing with that if you limit the amount of dyno time and you know, you, you go upstream and you, 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 you narrow, you know, the cost of that. So, um, you know, we have a budget cap this year, which again is, you know, bringing costs under, under control. And I think the engines, you know, they're the best kept secret in the world because they're the most amazing things churning out, you know, thousand horsepower um, and give out as a much emissions of, as a single cow over the whole, over a whole year. Mm. Um, so, you know, there are amazing pieces of equipment that we've done our best to keep secret. And I think one of the things that we do need to address with a new engine, which comes in 2025, is the noise. Yeah, because the noise is part of the emotion of Formula One. It's part of the show. It's part of that, you know, noise is speed as well at the moment. You know, when you you just feel it. And it's a bit like going to a rock concert with the volume turned down. You know, we've got to get that, that back in because it's part of the DNA of what Formula One is. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I think ultimately pulling away from um, Formula One, where you came from, because you came from a driving perspective, didn't you, years ago? How did that start for you? Yeah, a long time ago. Um, yeah, I started off as a as an aspiring driver. I went through all the karting and then and then you know progressed into car racing. I won a scholarship from Renault. Then I drove for Lotus when they had a Formula Three team. I drove in what's now Formula 2, and I, I started my own team because, you know, sponsorship and budgets in any form of motorsport, you know, it's an expensive business, and I only had a certain amount of sponsorship, and so I used it to create my own team and then found that 
I was actually better at running the team than I was for driving for it. So <laughs> Yeah, but you did a- okay. I mean, as a driver, you actually did okay. I, I saw a quote, which I, I don't know whether it, it was true, um, about you saw um, Pablo Montoya in front of you take yeah. a corner and you went, I can't deal with that. Yeah, that was a bit depressing because it was the first <laughs> test of the year. Uh, it was in Estoril when it used to be the first corner used to be a very fast right-hander. I came out of the pit lane and Montoya came past and it, the commitment that he went into this corner, you could see the wheel rim trying to pop out the side of the, the tyre. You know, there's a barrier a few metres to the to the left of the circuit and, and he was just absolutely lit up. And I, I thought, I can't do that. You know, my 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 head and heart... They're disconnected. My heart wants to do it, but my head's saying no. Um, it's connected to my right foot. So, so, so um, I pretty much had come to the conclusion at that point, you know, the, the higher up you go in racing, the, the more powerful the cars come, the bigger the difference you see between, you know, the drivers. And uh, at that point, I recognise that, you know what, uh, I've enjoyed my time driving. I've learned a lot. I've, I've made a lot of friends. I love the business. I'm going to have to do something else. So did you approach that season then, Christian, in a different manner to to previous seasons? Because, you know, I, I read that quote, that same quote that, that Paul just mentioned, and I thought to myself, I, I, one for one, I must, I would have been sitting there thinking, oh, he's definitely got something on his car that I haven't got or on his bike that I haven't got, and, and that's why he can do that. But, you know, two, I read that, and I thought if that was the preseason test, how, how could you approach the, the season, um, you know, thinking I want to win or I'm going to be champion or whatever, when, when you've already decided that someone might be better than you? Well, I think that, you know, I decided by that point that, you know, suddenly I was running a team and then running a team, you've suddenly got the responsibility of, you know, it's down to me to pay the mechanics and the engineers at the end of the month, you know, their mortgages are depending on me. And I had a certain amount of budget that I knew if I crashed the car, we didn't have enough money to re, you know, rebuild it. We didn't have any spares and, and we're really on a, on a shoestring. So then you've got that, you know, burden as well. But what it did teach me was that, you know, I was doing all the backroom job, booking hotels, I was doing the VAT return, I was paying the wages, I was, uh, you know, dealing with the suppliers, negotiating with sponsors. And then, oh, by the way, you've got to get in the car and drive it. Um, <laughs> and so really that last, you know, 12 months for me was, yeah, I knew early on that actually, you know, I'm okay as a driver. I'm not one of the best. There's certainly, you know, a lot more talent out there than me. I'm grateful for what the sports taught me. And now I want to build a team as I would have liked to have driven for, you know, for a team and take the experience I had from within the cockpit and try and create, you know, that surrounding. And so that's the journey that I then set off on. It's it's funny you mentioned that because I, I, I did a bit of racing with Andrew Howard at Beach D in Aston Martin in the British GT Championship. And I did a couple of 24-hour races and stuff with, with the team. And my uh, co-driver at the time was Jamie Chadwick, who yeah. was who is an amazing driver and uh, taught me a lot. And what I was scared about when I, when I actually got my race license was um, crashing the car. Because Andrew used to say to me all the time, Paul, you know, you're going out in the car, uh, you know, you, you are good, your lap times are this, don't try and beat Jamie, but, you know, emulate Jamie, watch your corners. We'd sit down and look at the telemetry afterwards after a run and my brake times and where I should be braking. And I was going, I am braking, I am putting 90 PSI. No, you should be 120 PSI and you are braking because what doesn't, it can't lie, the telemetry will not lie. So there's nowhere to actually hide. 
Um, but yeah. I remember him saying to me, we were at, um, I think we were at uh, Belgium Spa racing. And what was hilarious was I'd done 45 laps and I'd climbed the car up through our class. Um, and I thought, I'm going to pass it on to Jamie. She's going to smash it. We're going to be on the podium on this one. And the next minute, I uh, I, I ran out of talent, um, hit, a, hit a, a rumble strip, put my foot down half a second too early and the car spun and I limped back to the pits. Yeah. And it was yeah. that look on Andrew's face as the team owner saying, this is going to cost this is going to yeah. cost money. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, we were racing at tracks like Monaco, you know, Po, we did street races in Helsinki. And, you know, the street tracks in particular are, are particularly, you know, um, unforgiving. And when you know you've got no spares in the truck, <laughs> you know, it focuses the mind a bit. How would, um, obviously, you retired from driving quite a while ago, but um, you mentioned the simulator just before we went um, on air with the podcast. Have you had a go in the, in the simulator re- uh, recently, or, or would you fancy having a drive in one of the latest cars to see, uh, to see how you stack up against the boys? Uh, I certainly wouldn't want to get into one of the current cars. I mean, they are, they are missiles now, and you've got to be an athlete to drive one of them. I mean, they really are, you know, something else. Um, the simulator, I drove the Valkyrie, actually, was the last car I drove on the sim of, um, about 12 months ago. And it's amazing the reality that they now have. I mean, I, I always used to feel a little bit sick with computer games and some of the early simulators, but now with all the motion that they have with the, the simulation of the G-Force and the, the quality of the graphics, mm. the 3D graphics is so immersive. Yeah. It's hu- hugely, hugely impressive. And for us now, it's a massive engineering tool that uh, because we're not allowed to go testing, we've created a virtual world. And so the race drivers and the test drivers are in there. You know, it's running pretty much, you know, every other day of the week. Are they accurate? I mean, how accurate are they when from track to track? How accurate are these simulators now? Massively accurate. I mean, um, of course, we do a lot of correlation. Um, so, uh, you know, the drivers, after they've been to a race, they'll come back and they'll drive that circuit and say, yeah, no, that bumps in the same place. Or uh, even the accuracy of the buildings and the, the, the peripheral graphics, you know, where the braking boards are to make it as lifelike as you possibly can. So, you know, when we're testing this week, uh, you know, the simulator will be in use as as backroom support, you know, over the evenings to look at different setups, different configurations. And it's a, it's really is an engineering tool. It's not a driver tool. It's yeah. drivers use it to, you know, because they don't get to, to, to practice as such, but we use it very much as an engineering tool. I remember I, I met Christian um, through his wife, Jerry. Uh, Jerry was on Bake Off and one star baker, she ever let you forget that? <laughs> Right, she's never let me forget that. The amount of, <laughs> the amount of gingerbread that she created. I don't want to throw her under the bus here, but let's say cooking isn't at the top of her skill set. <laughs> um, so it is a standing joke in our family that she managed to you know, win this, this competition. Uh, but the amount of gingerbread men that she cooked, I think we were eating it for about three months. <laughs> it's good, though. It was good because on the program, she did exceptionally well. Um, yeah. I did see a load of um, baking that she was doing um, because uh, I worked with uh, Emma Bunting on the on yeah. the uh, American show. 
And of course, Emma was saying, well, I've done this and Jerry's doing this and I'm going to do this. And I'm going, what? Why don't you just do a bake-off then between the Spice Girls? Maybe that's the next thing. We get all the girls in the, in the, in the bake-off. We'll get Emma in there as well. Imagine. Get Jerry yeah. back and we'll just say, who's the best then out of all of them? <laughs> you do with that one. <laughs> Christian, obviously there's 23 rounds this year um, in the Formula One Championship. Um, one thing that, that people, I think, don't take into account is just how much time and, and effort that takes to to achieve. I wondered because, you know, people think that you just rock up on a Sunday and turn up there and, and that's it. You spend that day there and then go straight back home. How many days a year do you actually get to spend in your own bed at home? Because I think that when people hear how many days you are actually away from home, they'll be they'll be blown away. Yeah, it's massive. I mean, particularly with a 23 race calendar. So you know, I'm one of the last to leave, you know, so I tend to turn up at a race on a Thursday back on a, you know, Sunday night, unless it's an international race. And of course this year we've got, I think three sets of triple headers, which is, mm. you know, which is brutal. So, you know, you, you've got to assume that you're going to be away on average, at least 23 weeks of the year, um, you know, traveling or sponsor commitments or meetings, etc. And then, of course, there's a full-time job when you're back in the factory as well. It's not like, you know, it's just the race team that that's only one part of, and probably 10% of what we do. It's what goes on behind the scenes, you know, here in the factory that, uh, you know, is where the heartbeat in the engine room is. I was, I was, I was actually lucky enough to have a go on the sim. Uh, Christian allowed me to go on the simulator. And I remember I was on there for about an hour or so. And um, the next minute, Christian walks in, and I was sort of mid. And he goes, "Do you want to come and say what?" Lost in your own little it's world. Ama- it is amazing. You are right about the simulators because you get so immersed in these simulators. I mean, I, d- I don't know with him when you were racing shaky that you had. Did was there any such thing as a bike simulator? Not really. I think there's uh, there's MotoGP on the PlayStation, for instance. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, not not so much a, a simulator. I think there's a few things out there now. I've seen uh, I've seen a few bikes that you know the guys sit on a, on a physical bike and sort of lean over and whatever. But I'm not sure how realistic they are just yet. I think I think we're nearly there. Hopefully, one day we'll be there. I know there's a couple on the market. One thing I was going to ask you, Christian. I, I was I, um, I was good friends with John Surtees. And I did um, a program for the BBC about racing legends. Yeah. And it was about his life, really, from um, nine times uh, motorcycle champion. 1959, he left uh, MV Augusta. And then he did a bit of testing with uh, Aston Martin in the, in the DBR1, yeah. actually, which was amazing. It was very quietly done. But he ended yeah. up racing in Ferrari. And to win yeah. a, a world championship with Enzo Ferrari as well, um, he yeah. did have a nasty accident. Potentially, he could have won his second one until he had a a little altercation with uh, Ferrari headquarters. But that sort of movement from motorcycle to Formula One nowadays, I mean, can you see that ever happening? It's tough. I mean, first of all, look, John was an amazing character and under-recognised for what he achieved on Agreed. bikes and cars the only guy to to win in both disciplines um and they are so far removed now although you know we've we've had you know mark marquez in here and and danny pedroza and you know they ran on the sim they ran in the real car and and you can see that racing instinct that feel that you know they were both getting down to you know pretty competitive times but you know the amount of time it would they would need and preparation that they would need that formula one doesn't allow and we've seen it the other way with you know drivers trying to jump on bikes mm. and falling off um <laughs> you know they are so 
so you know different in so many respects, but you know the fundamentals are are also quite similar. So you know certainly the bike lads that have jumped in, like like Mark and and, and Danny and so on, they've you know they have impressed us. Mm. Same with you know. Um, uh, you know, Sebastian Loeb from rallying background when he jumped in the car again you know hugely impressive how do you feel then uh, you're the boss of uh, Red Bull Formula 1 and as being the the guy who takes on the responsibility of not just the team but the drivers and I know you've got a massive team behind you driving the whole thing responsibility for you how do you deal with the pressure because obviously you've got the media to deal with as well and I know more than most about uh, media responsibilities and how uh, they can really get on your back sometimes. How do you deal? Do you take that home with you? Do you you just forget about it? How do you deal with that on a day-to-day basis? I think it's something that you learn to deal with. I mean, I've been doing this job for 16, you know, this is my, what, 17th season, um, you know, doing this in, in, in Formula One. And I think... You know, you, you would carry it a lot more in the early days, but I think the benefit of experience and age, you learn how to compartmentalize things and certain things you can control, certain things you can't. And I think you know, worry about the things that you can control, not the things that you can't. And I think that, you know, family life for me is really important. I'm lucky to have a very supportive wife and a lovely family. And, you know, when I go home, I try to be present at home. I try not to bring work too much you know, into, into home life. Uh, and it's trying to find that, that blend and, uh, you, you know, balance, but it's, uh, yeah, I think, you know, the way that the media works these days, the, the speed with social media and, and, and so on, um, you know, it's, it, it's a different, it's a different world, but, um, as I say, you know, take one day at a time and, and worry about the things that you can control and, and, there's going to be stuff that you know people are going to have opinions and that's just the way it is so what is it about formula one that christian that um, that drags you away from your family then for for 23 weekends of the year and do you ever take you know your your wife and your young kids to the races with you do they come along and travel along to see some races well first of all it's a competition that i love it's that feeling that when the lights come on you know and the cars are there and it's just it's just you and your team and and it's all about that next sort of hour and 40 minutes uh, and that's the best part of the weekend for me because everything else becomes, you know, secondary at that point in time. It's it's just about pure racing and 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 adrenaline, and that's that's the buzz that I get, you know, out of it. You know, I'm a competitive person, and you know, it's all racing and and you know, winning. It's almost like a drug. You know, it becomes very, you know, addictive. And once you've experienced it, you just want more and and. Uh, it's never quite enough or you haven't won by enough or, you know, it just <laughs> sucks you, sucks you in. Um, and I still got that drive and that passion. Um, and, and yeah, I think, look, you know, 23 races, it's a, it's a, it's a long year. So uh, there's a couple of races that are sort of family friendly that, you know, the kids and, and, and Jerry will come along to. And of course, you know, from her lifestyle, you know, she knows what touring is it involves. It's not, you know, it's not all glamorous and it's it's you know a lot of time in airports and hotels and you know going there and getting getting their job done so she's been tremendously supportive and uh you know i'm very lucky in that respect you've won four championships over a sort of 15 year period i mean from um sort of mid uh 2000s through to 2020 it's it's four championships constructors that you won um 
that that's good going. I mean, that is one hell of an achievement because you did four on the bounce, didn't you? Yeah. We did drivers and constructors mm. four on a row, and then Mercedes come along and won everything <laughs> since. So, uh, you know, we, we've got to get back into a winning position. And I think that, you know, we've got a great group of people here and a team is only as good as its people. And we've got fantastic strength and depth and a great, you know, mentality throughout the business. And I think that that's our target is, you know, Mercedes is the top of the game at the moment. But, you know, and they've set the bar incredibly high. Um, and, you know, we, we've got to go that extra yard to, in all areas, to, you know, take the fight to them because, you know, they're a very, very well-oiled machine now. I, I do think that the, the world of Formula One is so um, intense. Um, and it is, you can feel it when you go on the grid, certainly in the in Silverstone, the British Grand Prix, where you've got so many people. It's a shame, you know, we've watched the Grand Prix without many people being there. And hopefully this year we'll start opening the gates a little bit more and allowing certainly a few more people in to create that atmosphere again, which I think it lacked. You know, you want that, you want the stadiums to be full and you want yeah. that buzz from the people and the teams, I think, react with that. And certainly the drivers would react to that as well to see people back on the grid, you know. No, most definitely. And, you know, we've got some massive events, you know, this year where I hope the fans start to come back. You know, it looks like the British Grand Prix will probably be the first race where an audience starts to come, you know, back if any significance to, you know, to a Grand Prix. Um, we've got the Dutch Grand Prix with Max, which will be insane. Um, <laughs> you know, he, he uh, is just a national hero over there. We've got the Japanese Grand Prix for Honda which will be huge. We've got the Austrian Grand Prix, obviously, as our as our home race. And then with, you know, Checo with Sergio Perez in the team this year, Mexico is just going to go nuts, yeah. you know, as well. And they're all big atmosphere venues. Yeah. Um, and we miss having the fans there. It's, it's weird. Yeah. Um, when you get racing, you don't notice it, but in the build-up and the aftermath of the race, it's just, it's just strange. I mean, how do you, how do you feel about this whole... Um, I mean, I was fascinated to see Aston Martin was sort of coming back onto the grid now um, and to see uh, Sebastian uh, yeah. with Aston Martin as well. It's going to be curious because obviously the team last year did well. I mean, obviously it's yeah. rejigged now. It's It's got, I mean, it's a beautiful looking car. Uh, yeah. I love the colour. I love the look of it. It's that classic Aston look. Um, how do you think they're going to do? I <laughs> I Are they a threat? Gonna do, look, Aston's a, a, a mega brand. They've been involved with us for the last four or five years. You know, we've uh, we've designed and created the Valkyrie, which was, you know, Adrian's dream, yeah. taking Formula One DNA and turning it into the most extreme road car in the in the world, and nearly bankrupt Aston in the process. <laughs> um, but it, look, it's a great brand. It's great they're back in Formula One. Lawrence Stroll, look, he's a big character. He's yeah. a big personality. Um, and he's driving that business and, um, you know, they're going to be competitive and Sebastian has got his hands on, you know, a car that's pretty close to a Mercedes now. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, you know, Sebastian, you know, Sebastian, well, what happened? I mean, what's happened to him when he went to the last, certainly last, latterly, the last couple of years, he just hasn't been the Sebastian of all the, the Sebastian that we knew from Red Bull. Is it purely down to the car just wasn't doing what it should and therefore he's sort of pushing it that little bit more? I think different drivers react in different, you know, environments. And I think Sebastian, when he drove for us, he was phenomenal. Mm. I mean, he achieved some incredible, incredible things. And, 
you know, is one of the most successful drivers in the in the history of the sport. And you know, Ferrari is a different environment. And I think in latter years, he's you know he struggled. You could see it looks like he's visibly aged. Yeah. You know, over the last couple of years, and I think when you're not enjoying your racing, um, which it didn't look like he was, um, you know, it affects your performance on track. And you know, Sebastian's still a four-time world champion, and I think. You know, if he finds his mojo and the car is, um, you know, competitive, which I'm sure it will be, he's going to be a, be a factor this year. And it would be, you know, foolish to uh, underestimate, you know, what he's capable of. Christian, as the boss of, uh, of Red Bull Formula One team, what is it that you you personally look for in a driver? I mean, obviously, the, the, the buck's not going to be completely on your head. But um, when you're when you're selecting drivers or, or contemplating drivers for the future, what is it you're personally looking for from them? We have a fantastic, you know, junior program. We've generated some great talent out of that, and you know, Helmut that runs that program has done a great job in you know, identifying young talent, you know, early. And so guys like Verstappen, Vettel, Ricardo, Signs, you know, the list is the list is endless. Um, I think fundamentally you're just looking at that natural speed. So I mean, if you look at Verstappen as a as a clear case, he's just got that absolute raw, mm. outstanding natural ability. Then on top of that, he's got this inner self-confidence and self-belief that you just know he's going to do something special. Um, and you know, and then he's got that extra capacity as well to understand the dynamics of a race, that he's not fully consumed in driving the car. He's got the ability to be thinking about other stuff whilst you know banging in the lap times, whether that's race strategy, whether it's what the car's doing, you know how the tires to manage the tires the uh you know which are particularly sensitive um you know to heat and conditions and different track surfaces so um that's what you you're, you're looking for is you know that raw speed but also a greater capacity to be able to be taking on you know that they're not running at 100 process they're just driving the car that there's spare capacity for you know the broader picture mm. Does he translate a lot of that knowledge from the track to the engineers and technicians? I mean, obviously, I think that, that communication between the engineers on the car and the driver is, is critical to say, I'm not getting this, I'm not getting that. Does a lot of that happen on track or does he just wait till he gets back and then just gives it um, full beans on what's neat, what needs doing to the car? With Max, you get a pretty binary <laughs> as he feels it. He tells you, I mean, again, you know, someone like Sebastian, he, Sebastian, you know, in a debrief, you'd be there for half an hour before he started the race. You know, he'd be talking about the warm-up lap and the start and the this and that and the other. Uh, Max much more direct, and he just purely focuses on what he needs to go quick. I remember in Hungary last year, he said he'd had a bit of a snap into turn one, but, you know, that was that. And when he looked on a replay of the video and the DRS had stuck open, hmm. Uh, it didn't close under braking. So he basically got no downforce as he turned into the corner. And you know, his engineer pointed out to him, that could be the reason. Oh, oh yeah, that's it. And you know, any other driver being in the barrier, I think, but for him, it was no big deal. Um, you know, it was just an armful of lock and, 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 and get on with it. Um, and so what he focuses on are just the pure basics of what does he need to go quicker? Yeah. Um, and he is, you know, uber focused on, you know, on that. You often see him, he almost drives like a rally driver. There's a lot of, 
there's a lot of movements in in the car. Um, whereas you look at someone like the likes of Jensen, who's who's yeah. very smooth in it, in his approach, and it, and it, and you don't get that. I mean, on the telemetry, you must see it when you're looking at the movement of the steering wheel. It's sort of peaking every now and again. When we go to a new track or conditions are, you know, mixed or, or, or wet or damp, you, you know, you always see that that talent, that feel come to the, you know, come to the fore. Do you get it on the, uh, you watch the Formula One program and do you get that communication between the driver, which is often aired, some of it isn't? Does that yep. get, um, does a lot of that not get played out? Or do you regret some of the things that are said and you're going, oh no, please be quiet? Well, some of the stuff gets aired out that you think, I've got, I wish they hadn't played that because <laughs> you end up writing a lot of apology letters. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting dynamic because the race engineer is as close to a coach. Hmm as a driver will get, you know, he's the direct communication and they, they live and breathe with each other. So that, you know, if one's having a good day or bad day, you know, he can, he can see that and he's, he's um, managing that. So it's largely rather than engineering role, he's managing the driver, you know, through a Grand Prix, you know, weekend. So, um, and that relationship is very, very, is hugely vital and the confidence that both have in each other. So, you know, the race engineer that Max is working is, is they've been together since the beginning and there's this there's a, a you know sometimes they're a bit like an old married couple um but you know they, they they have this dynamic and relationship and understanding of what the other means or or requires and coming into this year 2021 because it all kicks off really is it this week you're heading off yeah, tomorrow I go. So what's the plan then? What 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 are you anticipating to do during practice? What are you going to push them? What are you going to what's your ambition for that car? You should know. Are you testing out everybody else as well? And how far are you going to push it? Well, everybody's testing together the next 3 days. So one car per team, all 10 cars on track and there's only 3 days. So for you know particularly for a new driver like Sergio, he's only got one and a half days to get himself up to speed. Um which is nothing when you consider with other sports how much practice they would have before going into a match or whatever. Um, so, of course, different teams will run different fuel loads, different power settings. We'll have a bunch of analysis going on in the background and we'll get a, a bit of a picture of what the form is looking like. Yeah. But it's only when we get to that race weekend in two weeks that that's your first reference point of, okay, where are we at? You know, where are Mercedes? Where are we at? How big a step of... Ferrari taken where how good are Aston Martin looking you know is there any other curveballs out there I think ultimately uh George Russell did an amazing job when he jumped into uh Hamilton's car so proportionally I mean Lewis has done an amazing job and he's battled off you know the likes of Alonso Seb uh Bottas um but George when he jumped in his car did an amazing job and I think it came down to an alleged puncher, um, he had issues with the car and he came in and then he pushed it again and got through to the second, could have won it again. Did an amazing job. Yeah. What is it? Is it the car? Is it the driver? It's both? It's, uh, you look, the car is a massive role, as you saw with George going from the back of the grid to the front of the grid. But, you know, the best drivers end up in the best cars because they shine through. Mm. Um, and, you know, Lewis Hamilton is, you know, arguably... Um, the greatest of all time, certainly statistically. Um, and, you know, he's still at the top of his game. Um, so he's in that car for a reason because he has achieved what he has. Um, you know, we can see a younger generation coming, you know, the likes of Max, the likes of Leclerc, 
you know all these young young talent that are that are coming through and it's it's exciting to see that and there's some exciting youngsters on the grid this year you know this this young japanese lab zanoda he's yeah. gonna be a, a rocket ship i mean he's exciting to watch uh, and then we'll see the guys coming out of Formula 2. You know, Mick Schumacher will be interesting to see as well. Yeah, Mick will be interesting to see how he gets on. I mean, there is a look of his, <laughs> there's certainly a look of his father. I think when it comes to safety, uh, it really showed its face uh, last season. Um, yeah. The barrier. Um, that was incredible. I mean, that sort of impact, he shouldn't have walked away from. Um, the, the, the design of these cars now have got safety in mind. Almost, it's priority now that the drivers are safe. You've now got the halo now that's been added. You've got the tie-ons now for the for the wheels. There's so many additions now to make Formula One cars as safe as they possibly can. Is that still being pushed all the time? And do you do you ever think of something and go, hang on, we need to sort this out? And and what sort of meetings do they happen regarding safety? Because that one last year with the halo saving his life, because the halo wasn't there. The chances are it would have hurt him quite badly. Yeah, I look. I mean, the safety of these cars is is phenomenal, and all credit to the FIA and you know they're the drivers and the champions of you know of the safety. And sometimes it's unpopular um, from a design perspective, um, but the outcome of it is phenomenal. And I remember you know, when there was question marks when the halo you know was first brought in, was it taking away from open cockpit racing? But you know, the halo earned its place in Formula One, uh, you know, with uh, the fact that Roman Grosjean could walk, walk away from the size of accident. I've never seen an accident that big no. and a driver walk away from it. I mean, it's quite, quite remarkable and testimony to the FIA and all the work that goes in behind the scenes to make these cars as, as strong and safe as they, as they currently are. The monocoque system is amazing. I mean, I know uh, Mr. Shaky Byrne here on my right, he... Um, you did have a bit of a spill, didn't you, in 2018? And again, motorbike uh, racers don't get a second chance. Uh, they try and make the tracks as safe as possible with kitty litter, with tire walls, with everything else. But ultimately, I think I think the biking fraternity are slightly more edgy than, than the car drivers. Well, they make us look like wimps, I think, in, in, in comparison. I mean, um, I'm, I'm sure Shaky's got a bit of bit of additional metal <laughs> set off a few alarms going through the airports that's for sure <laughs> um and some of the recovery rates that you know the bike uh you know riders achieve uh coming back from accidents is is absolutely outstanding and of course i guess there's only so much safety that you can add to the bike as you say it's from a uh you know from a track point of view and the suits and and and, and so on but it's it's still a human being on a on a two wheel machine. Yeah. There's no roll cage. There's no there's no safety effectively around you. And you know, fall off at 200 miles an hour. It's it's going to hurt. Christian, do you ride bikes? No. No. <laughs> Never have, or or just uh, not interested. I used to as a look, I used to as a as a kid. I just know that if I have like a midlife crisis and I get a bike, um, <laughs> that that. Uh, you know, if you get it wrong in a car and you run down the grass, you've got a chance of you know, surviving. Um, go on a track there on a bike, get on the grass, it's all over. Um, and, my, and my ambition over talent would definitely, you know, overtake. So you know how to ride a bike then? Oh, yeah. We had monkey bikes and bikes as, and scooters as, as, as kids. 
uh, and they're you know they're they're, they're phenomenal. I, I I love the bike. I love the bike racing. The bike racing is the best racing in the world. It just seeing you know watching any form of bike racing, but you know I guess the most popular is MotoGP. The the quality of racing is is phenomenal. I think Formula One can learn a lot from that. Would you would you if 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 the opportunity arose, would you like to come out with Shaky and myself on a track where Shaky will teach you? You don't have to go fast. You don't have to go hundred percent. 50%. No, absolutely not, because it would whet my appetite and, and then I'd want to do more. So <laughs> absolutely no way. So here's, here's a question then, Christian. If you had that midlife crisis and you were to get a bike, what bike yeah. would you would you want? Is there anything out there that you look at from, you know, from the motorcycling world that you think that's just spectacular or that's beautiful or the performance is amazing or, or whatever? What would you look for? He's a Harley man. He's a Harley man. He's a Harley? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. No, 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 there's so many beautiful bikes and, and um, you know, the Ducatis, um, you know, Honda makes some, some amazing bikes. Um, so, so, yeah, there's not one bike that stands out to me, but definitely a sports bike, uh, you know, is the, is the way to get the sound of them. And, and, you know, where we live in the countryside, we, you know, see quite a few, few of the guys, you know, particularly when they're on the way back from... It's not Paul Hollywood, is it? Because <laughs> <laughs> he's quite often floating around on sports bikes. I'm going to come round to your factory. I'm going to bring the most beautiful Ducati you've ever seen. And I promise you, I'll give you a helmet. I'll get you insured on it. Go down the road on it, mate. You'll love it, honestly. But they're, they're, they're fantastic. I mean, Adrian's a big bike fan. Thankfully, yeah. he stopped riding them now. But um, uh, yeah, you know, look, I think everybody here has an appreciation for you know the beauty beauty of uh, you know sports bikes although christian i want to thank you so much for joining us today i know you're a busy man i know um the 2021 season is looming um i wish you and the team all the best give lewis a run for his money this year uh and good luck thank you very much it's good to talk to you guys and uh hopefully we'll see you at a race soon absolutely we look forward to that thanks christian thanks christian take care christian is a very driven man obviously mm. Um, I've known him for a few years in his relationship with with Aston Martin and um, we've had a lot of chats and he's such a nice man and he's such a mild man, a very calming effect, I think, on the team. And I think you need someone like that in that position too because it's so frenetic at a race, you know, from a, from a biker's point of view. Yeah. But you need that calming effect, don't you, at the top? Do you know what? I was uh, I was almost a little bit fanboy then because uh, that's that's Christian Horner. You know, that's the, the boss of Formula One, the Red Bull team, you know, and, you know, I, I watch him. And, and it's funny because, you know, as a as a professional motorcycle racer, you know, you get people that, you know, you tell them that, that it's your job. It's your full time occupation because of sponsor commitments, because of training, because of turning up at the weekend and because of racing and because of the pressures of it. And, you know, people think that you just rock up on a Sunday morning, go and ride your bike and then go home on a Sunday evening and that's it, you're done. But, yeah. um, you know, the pressures and the, the stresses that guy must go through as the boss of such a, a big company uh, must be must be completely immense and and you know I had I had a load of questions written down that I wanted to ask him but at the same time I was just kind of sat here like oh my god I'm sat here having a conversation with <laughs> Christian Horner and he's he's talking to Paul and he's answering questions and yeah I got to fire a few questions at him so 
I think that the the only one I missed out clearly was, you know, John Surtees done his bit, but he hasn't given me a run in a Formula One car well, yet. Well, I, so. I tried to set that up for you. I <laughs> yeah, did I I try and set it up. We, we, do need to have a, we do need to have a bit of a, but he a, did say, a simulator. To go, but he did say a simulator. He offered the simulator. So yeah, that what, was before we went on air, though, so yeah, we should but, quantify no, no, that no. now. We, we will do that. Uh, yeah. I think we'll... I'll phone up Christian. We'll, me and you will go up there and do a, an hour on the simulator. Are you going to take that bike that you mentioned? Yeah, I'm going to take it. I'm going to try and get him on there. Can you imagine it? I think it'd be brilliant. I Sorry, think... Christian can't come to the next GP. He's wrapped himself <laughs> around the local lamppost. He fell off a bike. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put stabilizers on it for him, so he'll be all right. But I think ultimately, everybody will probably find that interesting. Obviously, we want people to donate as well. And we've got the Royal Mars and Evelina Hospital, and we've got Porch Lights all yeah. looking for money. We need to raise money as well through these. So please, please, if you get the chance, please donate and give as much as you can. Uh, to these charities, it's, it'll be much appreciated. But I think, yeah, you're right. I think ultimately we, we need to go and do some sim work, go and meet Christian, have a quiet drink with him and uh, see if we can get you in the car. I, I want to go over a Formula 1 can car. Can you imagine having a go in a Formula oh. 1 car? I know he offers the uh, RB10, which is the one that Vettel won the last championship on. That's a car that often goes out. That's the noise you want. Do you know what? When when we were talking about that, and he was saying about getting the noise back into um, into Formula One, all I kept thinking about was Alonso testing his old Renault the other yeah. week in um, in Abu Dhabi, was it or Dubai, yeah. wherever they were. Um, the noise was absolutely phenomenal, and I, I think that is the one thing that uh, that's got away from Formula One at the moment. But yeah. like you say, you know, they make the the regulations there tighter and tighter, yet they go faster and faster. Faster, but um, not necessarily in a in a I don't know how you put it in a, in an audio uh, beneficial. Word, but beneficial he did say word, in yeah. 2025 that Formula One are going to look at the sound again, mm. and I think in 2025 we can turn that sound up a bit because I miss that sound. Yeah. I've been on a, a starting grid of a Formula One race, and when you've got these cars piling past, and I could still talk. Mm. And not, without raising my, because normally when the old Tyrrells and and Senna, I've been fortunate enough to watch Senna. When Senna used to come past in in the McLaren, your ears were bleeding. Definitely, it yeah, was that absolutely. loud. It was incredible. But I, I I've thoroughly enjoyed today, mate. Well, that you know the fact that they're talking about changing the noise alone in 2025 just shows you what a machine Formula One is. And uh, he's certainly one of the guys in charge of it, isn't he? Well, so. I, I need to go and get a coffee. And look what we've got: Hollywood and Burn. We've got HB t-shirts, which at some point we will be doing uh, competitions for people to donate and then they can get a t-shirt as well. So, uh, didn't we say the top 10, the first 10 people that donate or something, we're going to give those t-shirts to, we're going to sign it. Are you going to sign it? Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Are you going to yeah, do we'll joined up it. handwriting and everything? I don't know whether it'll be worth more if we sign it or not. <laughs> if you, it's if probably I, rare if I if sign get, it I'll probably devalue it well the thing it's probably rarer to get one that's unsigned <laughs> that's probably going to be worth more money on eBay um, but ultimately I've enjoyed today now we need to make uh, a few notes actually to try and put some dates in the diary to go and meet Christian yeah that'd be fantastic right, I'm going to go and put the kettle on mate you uh, do I'm, that. I'm out of coffee this is ridiculous <laughs>